Welcome everyone to the first ever Leaf Promotions, the Unsigned Podcast. I'm John Scanlon from Leaf Promotions and I will be your host. We've got 16 years of experience in grassroots live music and hopefully in that time we've learned a thing or two about the music industry. So I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time spouting off about what I love and hate about the unsigned music scene. And I thought maybe other people would also like to know what happens behind the scenes in the world of live original music. I mean, I can only speak for the Northwest on my own personal events. But in that time, I think we've learned a thing or two and I'm hoping we can pass on some of that information to you guys. So we're going to be bringing you interviews with some of the finest artists around the Northwest UK, as well as Q&As about everything to do with gigs, promoters, labels, what to do and what not to do. In this first show, we've got a really special guest, so let's get right to it. Here is the awesome Matt Fryers. Ladies and gents, I'm talking to a man known for not only a fantastic bird, but also a great lyricist with an absolutely unique vocal. It's Matt Fryers. Welcome to the Leaf Promotions podcast, man. Thank you very much for that uh, epic introduction. <laughs> I try my best, you know. Yeah. How's it all going? All good? Well, I know you've been focusing a lot on um, doing Facebook live feeds and um, recording some new stuff as well. Obviously, yeah. at, at this time of recording, we're actually in lockdown at the moment, so yeah. everyone's trying to work out different ways of getting stuff done. Like, I didn't play anywhere last year. I didn't even play any of your gigs last year at all. Um, so playing, sort of doing the live feeds on Facebook gave us somewhere to play music. It gave us a reason to practice and sort of keep going. But it went really well. And what we're doing at the moment is we're trying to work out how to spread it even further. So I don't know if anybody that's watching is aware, but Facebook uh, is having over musicians and creatives at the moment, um, sort of, algorithms not working the way they should, uh, posts not being seen by people. So it forces you to kind of use other avenues. So looking at Twitch at the moment, which in the last sort of 12 months has opened up for musicians. So it was a gaming, it was a site for people to stream games on. Yeah. Um, now musicians can do it as well. And it's literally, you know, guys are going on there for five or six hours and they're making money. It's like busking, basically. Yes, essentially, um, you can make tips on them and stuff and uh, yeah, fund yourself yeah. through it, yeah. Yeah, they've got so many different facilities set up that musicians can make a bit back um, with what they're doing, but also it's just getting out to a different audience. I keep a mirror in my pocket to show me when the sickness is coming round It has a blurry dark reflection must only by the shadows upon the ground and it's still to be the valley of trees to wake up all of the restless few that are beaded down. Only time will tell for you and the words you seem to lose make haste in one direction. So for anyone who is unfamiliar with um, the music you've been putting out for quite a while now, when did you when did you originally start gigging? Um, I, started, I was originally in bands uh, years ago. Uh, I was in my first band from about 2001. <laughs> showing my age. <laughs> I was in the first band from like 2001 till 2005, and then what kind of what kind of genre was that? Uh, well, we were around at the time when everybody was still trying to sort of continue the indie thing. So it was a kind of mix between we all were into different styles of music. So it was a mixture of metal, Britpop, indie, kind of everything. It was a bit of a mishmash, and we did all right, but. Obviously, it was early days. Um, I joined another band a few years later, and then I just had enough of basically being let down by people. You know, as you know, if you're in a band, um, you'll always get somebody that will let you down and that will ruin the show. So <laughs> I kind of had enough of that. So that's a lot easier to kind of go on your own. You can always rely on yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know that if anything goes wrong, it's on you, and you just need to fix it for next time. Um, and there's no argument. You know, you can't really argue with yourself unless you're a nutter. Um, <laughs> So, there's, yeah, there's plenty of uh, acoustic singer songwriters out there who are slightly believe me. I'm not claiming that I'm completely sane by any means, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it was in like 2013 uh, where I started gigging on my own. Uh, and I think one, one of your gigs was one of the first ones that I played at the Baker's Vaults, yeah. Um that kind of gave me a taster of this is what I want to be doing now. You know, it's rely on yourself, write your own songs, do everything the way you want to do it, and Obviously, over time, Stacey, um, my partner's got involved, and she's 
as much Matt Fryer's music as I am because she yeah. does the promoting side of it and videos and pictures and all the other stuff. So it's become more than just me playing a guitar now. Yeah, you've been but, involved uh, previously with some kind of dance. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some recordings on Spotify which you wouldn't necessarily put down as your yeah. usual style. I've seen the people at these gigs and it's not dancing what they're doing. It's yeah. not. Um, it's something, but I wouldn't call it dancing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've got this guy. You get a lot of messages as a singer of producers who need vocals doing for songs. And I got this message off this guy and he was like, you know, I'm this producer, I need a vocal. I checked him out and it turned out that he was like really big in a genre of music called hardstyle, which I've never heard of. It's basically techno music for the Europeans. Um, did a vocal for him and next minute we were on a plane to Holland getting a video filmed, nice hotel and everything. So that, that was a good experience. That yeah. video is on YouTube now uh, and it's done pretty well. So obviously we've done things like this over the years, but sort of being in lockdown and you know, I was I got made redundant just after Christmas, and it kind of forced us to think, well, what do we want to do long term? So now we're two footed. How much do you think it's helped having a partner who's um, who's, yeah. who's very supportive of your own music? Massively, massively. I mean, to be a musician nowadays isn't just about being a musician or being a songwriter or being a singer or anything like that. You also have to do all the background work as well. Yeah. And it's hard. You know, if you're writing songs and you're learning songs, you're learning a set, you're trying to make yourself as good as you possibly can be at the music, you simply don't have the time to go and do the Facebook stuff, the promotion, the emailing, the everything that you need to do. It's, there's not enough hours in the day. I definitely find that with, with promoting leaf gigs, like, it takes up a lot more time than you probably expect just to um, just to put on the amount of posts that you're going to need to do to get yeah. to keep people interested and stay in people's news feeds without it looking like spam, essentially, which sometimes it can come across that way. I think I think that's the trick. It's kind of get your stuff out there, make sure that people see it, but don't you know don't oversaturate them with it. This Twitch thing that we're learning at the moment, when you go on there, it's like the way Stacy explained it. It was like um, being at a Japanese kid's birthday party um, with all the weird things and colours flying about and everything, but you're trying to work out your finances at the same time. <laughs> yeah. It's mental, and it's like learning a whole new thing. And If I had to do it on my own, it would have took me three times longer, if not even longer than that. So, yeah, it's invaluable. I mean, one thing I would advise any musician that's kind of starting off is don't think that you have to pay everybody for everything. You can do everything yourself. Yeah. You know, you know that you're doing your job properly then. So, yeah, I feel the same. Like, both of our projects are very much kind of our babies, aren't they? So, you kind of you do want 100% of control over it, um, which is why I personally won't go with an outside uh, promotion scene. But uh, each to their own. If people want to do that and they've got disposable income, I suppose it's up to them, well, really. I'm the same as you at the moment in that we're thinking about different things like this, this podcast idea and other stuff that we can do to kind of keep stuff moving and you've got to now we don't know we've been told everything's going to open up in june we don't know that that's definitely going to happen um we hope it will but if it doesn't we've got to have other things in place that's and, i mean everything's been delayed and put back and changed dates on everything so you can't really rely on what the government's saying about it all but touch wood at the time recording hopefully we'll be going back to june or july and we'll be able to do live stuff again but in the meantime so, we are doing podcasts and things like this Mate, I miss it so much. Like, I do enjoy doing the live feeds because we found out um, within a fir the first few weeks of doing the feeds, we thought we were just like playing some songs and we were dead grateful that people were coming in and listening. But then we found out that there was loads of people messaging us saying, Look, you've really helped us while we've been going through the lockdown. Having your live feeds to watch have helped us. That's great. Do you know what I mean? You're yeah. actually we encourage people to kind of, we have a chat with people. And we spend sort of half the time playing songs and half the time just getting people to interact. And we don't like anybody. We don't let trolls come in. We kick them out straight away. So it's a friendly space. But it's not the same as playing a, a live gig in front of people. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but, but I think, um, I mean, obviously I've seen hundreds of live feeds on Facebook. But I think you're someone who's definitely gone to kind of create a community on your feeds rather than just putting out like an online yeah. virtual gig. Uh, you've tried it's, to turn it into more of a friendly kind of group. Yeah, I mean, it came from sort of just a lot of our friends coming in and just having a laugh, basically. 
yeah. in the comment thread and we thought well if we encourage that a little bit more you know and it's now we've got these regular viewers that sort of come in and a lot of them i don't know so i'm guessing that most of them like the music but some of them just come in for a chat you know some of them just come in so they can rip the whatever out of me and sit there <laughs> and laugh with people and it's fine yeah because you know, that's what we want um and we do it every two weeks so we're doing them saturdays i think now so we're going to stick to saturdays every other week we're doing one uh the next one i can't remember but, but yeah every other saturday we're doing them on facebook so you know come and join in so for anyone who hasn't heard your music before maybe not not seen you live uh, how would you describe your own style of music have you got any particular influences which affects yeah, the kind of songs that you write i don't know how i'd explain the style of it because that's the hardest question to answer. <laughs> I don't think anyone likes pigeonholing themselves, but I mean, if you had to. Um, well, my influences, when I was younger, um, when I was a kid, I would listen to a lot of Oasis, um, which didn't shape the way I perform, but it shaped the songs and how, because Noel Gallagher's a great songwriter, you know, whether you love him or hate him, he does write good songs. Uh, so I listened to a lot of that when I was younger, and then I got into American stuff. Stained, Aaron Lewis, Eddie Vedder. Real... I was going to say Stained actually is uh, would definitely be an influence that I would say you'd be inspired by. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I got sort of listening to a lot of that kind of stuff, and then as I sort of came to do, as I came to transition into being an acoustic act, I got to know a few people who were doing sort of blues and soul and folky stuff, and I kind of just drew a few bits from each person and sort of learned a bit off each person that I work with. And it's just kind of made what I do now. Um, the way I write has changed because we're writing an album at the moment. We're hoping it's going to be out next year. Um, and that's the first, all the songs are basically going to be about other people. Nothing about my life whatsoever. All about people that I've met or might be somebody, a character in a film or in a book or something. That's an interesting yeah. departure because of, of the material that I've obviously I've known you for quite, quite a few years now, and your songs tend to be quite in, introspective, maybe focusing maybe slightly on the darker side of um, yeah, um, maybe your personality <laughs> or experiences. I, I, I always write about. I've had. I could probably write a book. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But <laughs> instead of writing a book, I've written songs. Um, yeah, and they all kind of tell you about different steps in my life. Um, different things that have happened, but a lot of them are very dark. Like we've got a cheery song. It sounds dead cheery, dead bouncy, but it's about murder. Um, <laughs> so, See, it's a usual topic for your singer song. Well, I think if everyone was being honest, everyone would admit that we've all met someone in our life that we've got. God damn it! I wish I could just, you know. Um, <laughs> if we're all being honest, so that's kind of what that song's about. But yeah, this is a big departure from that, um, and it's made. I'll be honest, it's made the writing process a bit easier because when you're looking at someone else, you're not really bothered what you say about them. Whereas yeah. when you write about yourself, you're kind of a little bit cautious as to you don't want to give away too much. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting album and hopefully we'll have that finished writing, the writing process by the end of the year and then early next year we'll have a new album out, hopefully. No, the chores have played it Slap up your visions made it Do come and label yours Do come and label yours A weightless static fragrance And all the sudden railings Now seen the steeple walls Now seen the steeple walls Take the lightning with the same conviction as your age now. No, it's your age inside us. When the soul marks part in love. I thought when I started having kids, because me and Stacey have four kids between us, so I had my first kid in like 2006. Um, and that put pay to me being in any bands then for a few years. So I did, I've had sort of breaks over that time. I've not just been working in music the whole time. As you know, like any parent that's been going through this lockdown process knows, you know, it's great seeing more of your kids. Uh, but if you've got work to do, it's impossible because, yeah. you know, there's, there's all this stuff to do. So, yeah, it's a big time restraint having kids. And that's 
my kids are a little bit older now, so it's a little bit easier for me to do what I'm doing. Um, but when they're young, yeah, it's tough. It's tough because obviously you don't want to be traveling too much. Uh, yeah. You don't, oh, I'm sorry, kids, I can't do this with you because I've got to record this song today and stuff like that. So it's a little bit easier now they're older because the teenagers, they don't want to sit and talk to me anyway. So, <laughs> so in all the years you've been doing it then, in the last 19 years, what would you say was the one particular gig which you would say would stand out as like a really memorable gig for any reason or just a, just a great like moment to be a part of? There's three, to be honest. Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't name one. The first one um, was when I did um, I did a release with Scruff of the Knack. It was my first release. And the way they did it, it was a compilation CD with me and three other bands. Um, we recorded it all in one weekend sold out night and day, like literally packed the place. There was there was people outside and you just couldn't fit anyone else in. And it was just such an epic gig. All the bands got on really well. The crowd was fantastic. There was loads of photographers there. It was brilliant. Then, if there's anyone listening to this who isn't familiar with the Manchester Unsigned scene, by the way, night and day is one of the most established venues yeah. out there um, in, in Great Manchester. It's probably one of the most famous venues in the country, I would say. Yeah. The funny thing was that that night, it was, uh, if anybody is watching from Manchester, you'll know that Night and Day was under threat a few years ago from yeah. an, a neighbour, basically, who didn't like the noise. Um, and while we were playing this gig, this was kind of all Alice was rumbling on. So we didn't know whether it was going to be the last ever gig at Night and Day. So it, it meant a lot at the time. Um, and then there was Academy 3 that I played a couple of months after that, and that was just mega. I mean, if, again... There's academies everywhere. There's like an academy in London. You know, the yeah. big venues, it's Manchester's biggest unsigned venue is Manchester. Yeah, it's also, yeah, again, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of a group of venues. So you have four different venues. The main one is Academy One. That's where you get your, you mainly your signed act. Academy Two is slightly smaller. It's kind of bands that are on the rise. And then three and four, they tend to be your more original kind of acts. But they're yeah. all decent sized venues, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they're massive. And I mean, I think. I didn't do very well on tickets, but I know that the bands that played did, and I'm pretty sure that we did. We pretty much sold it out. So that was an impressive gig. Um, but then the other one was Magnet, the first gig that I played for you. <laughs> um, it does, it does. <laughs> it's like, I love playing uh, the Whiskey Jar. Big shout out to Joe if he's watching. Um, yeah. I love playing the Whiskey Jar because it's this pin drop style audience, but... I've played the Whiskey Jar a few times, and it is, it's the best open mic anywhere. But in terms yeah. of what a night made me feel, like that magnet, yeah. the first magnet gig was brilliant. The magnet, for those of you who don't know, is a, a venue that John, that Leaf had um, a few years ago, uh, and it was brilliant. It was just such an amazing place, and the way everything was laid out. Um, I think I played the first one there. I think it was yeah. the first one. Yeah. Uh, it was just epic. You know, the room was full. Everybody was silent. Uh, it was just That's brilliant. it. It's one of those, yeah, when we used to do that venue, I think we did it for about two and a half years altogether, and it yeah. was never, ever quiet. It was always packed out. Uh, it was a really amazing. nice, attentive crowd. But we have yeah. moved it exactly the same night to the Peter's Gate Tap, which is also an excellent night to go and do. So. Yeah, I've played there a good few times now, and I think every time I've played there, it gets a little bit better. Yeah, you know, it's it feels it's definitely on the rise. And the last the last few before lockdown were absolutely incredible nights. The crowd's really getting into it now. They're becoming a lot more used to how it works. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we it's easier for us to just go and play in town. Yeah. You know, if, if we wanted to go somewhere, the bus stops right around the corner. The only thing is that in town, you don't get the same sort of audience. And to be fair, you don't get the same sort like we. We live miles away from Stockport, but we know loads of people down there now just from playing Leaf gigs. Um, the people have always been really welcoming to us, and we love playing gigs around Stockport. I think there was one year where, other than doing a few gigs for Joe, I only played your gigs, I think. That was a couple of years ago. So, you know, it's for me, it's not just how well the gig's being run. It's how nice the people are, how nice is the pub, how nice is the area. Um I think Joe's a good example, actually, of a promoter who is um, is doing things the right way, pretty much. He definitely, yeah. he tried, it's it's hard for him because it's the nature of an open mic, the level of quality is going to vary, basically, which is Leaf, obviously, we all we pre-book our racks and therefore we can guarantee a certain style. But he definitely knows all of the best musicians around Manchester. 
I think every single night you you go down to his night, um, you're going to see some quality acts. And also, he's kind of become famous for um, ensuring that his crowd very much respect the acts. It is a, as you said, a pin drop kind of atmosphere. Yeah, Um, that's sort of, he offers something that a lot of people can't really, which is that, you know, at the Whiskey Jar, which I'm hoping that the Whiskey Jar gets back up and running. I think they all are um, once this is all done. And, you know, he's got this thing where he's got an agreement with the bar that he can just tell everybody to shut them up, basically. Yeah. Which, uh, for the artists, I think, makes a huge difference. It does, because it takes the pressure off us to try and get heard. You know, we know for a fact we can play our quietest song, our most heartfelt song, whatever, and we know for a fact that it's going to get listened to. But it is a difficult thing to do. You can't do that everywhere. You know, you can't rock up at every bar and go, shut up, because people yeah. won't like it. Um, but what Joe's built, um, and I just, you know, I hope to God he can get back to it once everything opens up again. But, you know, Joe's, there's certain areas where there's certain people that I think are synonymous with the music scene. And obviously in Stockport, there's nobody else that I know that's even putting on gigs to the level that you are. You know, Joe's sort of hitting the Northern quarter and he's, he's got those and it's, the cream rises to the top. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's there's lots of lots of gigs in town. There are there's loads. You go to town any night of the week and you can find a bar to play in. I guarantee it. Um, but there's levels. There's levels of what those nights look like. Some of them are great. That's also the difficult difficulty from our point of view. Obviously, we try. We've launched pretty successfully actually nights in Manchester. But you are competing with so much more. Whereas obviously Leaf is primarily based in Stockport, and as you said, and I wouldn't say cornered the market, but we're definitely the dominant force in terms yeah. of the original music anyway there's plenty of covers that you can go to which i was going to ask you about actually you're, well, you've been primarily an original artist for most of your career i mean everyone takes the odd covers gig especially in the singer songwriter circles but what's your opinion on covers gigs versus originals gigs is, is a covers gig something you enjoy doing or is it just a payday at the end of the day um i've always enjoyed playing covers but that's only because i play covers my own way like, if I cover something, I don't just do a straight-off cover of the original. Yeah. I'll tweak it a little bit. Um, so I don't mind playing covers, and I play covers as part of my normal set usually. Anyway, through experience over time, I've found that the public can be quite hard to reach. Even if you're singing a brilliant song, if you don't hook them in with something. So sometimes if you're in a difficult pub or a difficult bar or something like that, the best thing that you can do is just play a well-known song. And it turns that crowd around on you. And if you're not selling out and it's a song that you've made sort of your own anyway, it's not too bad. Um, I've played a couple of weddings where it's been covers only and I'm not a sort of massive fan of it, but I am aware that to make money in this industry, you know, some things you have to do. Yeah, you have to take the pay date with the day. But um, Leaf, we've always encouraged, obviously, primarily original stuff, but we always do allow, I normally say, a maximum of two covers. And like you say, it does maybe rekindle an interest maybe halfway through a set that's perhaps flagging yeah. or the crowd's not right for it. You can, you, it's I mean, an easy way to bring people back on board, essentially, isn't it? Well, here's the way that I'll put it. Do you remember when uh, Louise Redknapp did a cover and stuck in the middle of you? <laughs> I don't, but it sounds horrendous. <laughs> the, the, the point was, there was no point in that cover being done because it was well worse than the original. It wasn't, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't add anything to it. I've heard covers of songs, though, where and whoever's covered it has just done something with that song that's different to the original. And then there's a point to it then. There's a point to that cover existing. Yeah. And I've heard some amazing covers over the years. So I've met bands before who are like, nope, we're not covering people's music. It's like, okay, but do you want to get paid? Because the majority of paid gigs that exist out there for people who just want to go and play gigs, you have to play some covers. People will ask you to do it. You know, uh, weddings, birthday parties, your songs might be very good, but yeah. once everybody's had a drink, they want to sing along to something. Like, yeah, like you say, it can it can kind of get the, the audience back on your side. It's it, it's yeah. it's not so much a cop out, but it's an easy way of getting people interested again, isn't it? Yeah, if we're talking about sort of the Leafs kind of setup, uh, where yeah. it's just a nice intimate gig, I'd much rather play originals. Yeah. Um, but like I say, the covers are a necessary evil. I used to play for when Scruff and the Next started off. Uh, they were in the Royal Oak in Cholton. Uh, the Royal Oak, it has a lot of sort of local Charlton people that just like a drink. 
Um, all night they were alternating between bands and acoustic artists. And the, the place was literally full of drunk people. From the minute you walked in there to the minute you came off stage, it was just full of drunk people. They're not going to appreciate any of your best songs. <laughs> no. I had this guy come up to me this one day, and I'd played Champagne Supernova in that, which, as you know, I don't normally do. Like, yeah. I'm not... It's kind of a no-no, isn't it? You don't play Oasis songs. You, you need do these it. songs in, kind of in your back pocket, though, don't you, just to whip out? Yeah. So I, I kind of saw an opportunity, and I played the song, and everybody sang along to it. And at the end of it, this guy went, why are you playing? You too, you're too good, you to be playing Champagne Supernova. Why are you playing that? I said because I'm trying to entertain pissheads like you. <laughs> exactly. Well, it sounds like he was interested in the original stuff more, which is it's not a bad thing. So yeah, it. but he didn't. <laughs> he didn't look it when I played the original stuff. He looked like he was falling asleep, and then as soon as he heard something that he knew, he pricked his ears up. Yeah. You know, but I don't. It comes with experience. I think if you've done, I've done a hell of a lot of gigs in a lot of places, and. Yeah. You kind of just learn what works and what doesn't. And well, on that, actually, what would you say if you had one terrible gig experience, which one would you say was the worst gig you've ever done? Terrible? Um, Is the one that stands out as, like, particularly bad? In 19 years, what's the worst one? Um, we had some bad ones, I think, with the second band where the bass player was from Burnley. So he was getting us, like, these places that were out in the sticks that were kind of semi-well-known. Um, and they were all a bit weird. They were all a bit weird. The way they set things up was a bit weird. The way they did things was a bit weird. We had one where there was 200 people in the place, but they all stood next to the bar. <laughs> it was weird. It was properly weird. As acoustic gigs, I think the worst gig that I've ever had was I went to play an open mic. Oh, no. I'm telling a lie. I've completely forgot. The worst gig ever was the one where I had to give my best mate a refund. Um <laughs> Bad because you were bad or because the gig was bad? <laughs> no, well, luckily, I've never really done a really crap performance on my own. I can hold my hand up and say, honestly, yeah. all, I don't believe that I've ever done I, a really I bad. can vouch for that because you played for me a lot of times over the years. Well, thank you because that adds weight to my argument. <laughs> but yeah, we got booked for a gig at Retro Bar, uh, which is in town in, in the centre of Manchester. And uh, I invited my friend, and Stacey was with us. There was a couple of guys who were on who were all right, but then the acts were so bad. Like, to give you an example, there was two guys who were in a band, right? I'm guessing in the mum's basement. <laughs> they were in a band, and what they'd done is the band had separated, and they decided to go and play the band's songs at acoustic gigs, but they didn't change what they were playing. So the bass player was still playing what he would have been playing with the band. Dum, 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 dum. And it was just awful. And it, I ended up getting to the end and I had to give Travis money back because I just felt awful. Every act was like, they'd literally just pulled them off the street and gone, will you please try and play a tune? Yeah, okay. I was going to say, with a lot of with a lot of promoters, especially in, in the city centre, actually, it's more about, from, from a promoter's point of view, it's about how busy you can get the gig. So they... Yeah. tend to go for bands that say they can sell the most tickets, right? And a lot of the time, I know for a fact, they don't even listen to the material. It's irrelevant. Right. They just want to fill the venue at the end of the day. Right. At least it's different because we actively go out and if we can't see them live, we'll listen to a lot of material before booking them. So I'd like to think we've got a higher standard of acts overall. It's like you said, mate, like you, you care about what you do. So I can't see that you would ever put an act on if you didn't think that they sounded good. Like, why would you do that? Like you, you wouldn't want to take the risk because it affects your brand. And well, the other thing as well is I've always thought of it as if, even if I was just doing this for a hobby. I mean, I'm lucky enough to get paid for it now. But if I was doing it for a hobby, essentially my job is picking bands that I really like and putting them on, <laughs> letting them play a gig for me, <laughs> and yeah. then hoping that everyone else enjoys it. And luckily, over the years, we've, we've built a good regular base on the back of that. There's a lot of kind of I, I've not experienced it for a while, but I know the pay-to-play idea is still kind of knocking about. Yeah. Uh, that's something it's that I good. want to cover on with everyone on this podcast. Actually, it's, I don't even know how pay to play still exists. I think well, it's an absolute. It's the biggest con for unsigned bands that there is. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not literally the same because obviously you don't just pay now to, to play a gig. But for those who yeah, for those who don't understand or never heard of pay to play before, it tends to be in a lot of city centres. I know Manchester's had a big problem with it. Liverpool still has a big problem with it. It's essentially promoters who go out and demand that you sell a number of tickets, say 25 tickets for a fiver each or whatever, 
And if, any tickets that you don't sell, you then owe the promoter that money, which is yeah. a horrendous way of of treating someone who's basically performing. Yeah, I mean, I, with my first band, we did a gig at Academy Three, and it was really, really big. We sold it out. Um, the promoter badgered us all night, like didn't let us get ready, didn't let us set up, didn't let us sound check. He was money, 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 money. Where's ticket money? Where's ticket money? And we're like, look, man, we've got to sell a few more outside, and then we'll square up at the end. But this guy was just on us, on us, on us, on us, on us all night, and it ruined the gig for us. Like it made the whole gig just this pain. This guy just badgering us all the time. At the end of the night, he got his money. And he made a profit, and then he was our best mate. Yeah. You know, it happens a lot with those kind of promoters. We won't name any names, but I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. I'm sure. You do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know, man. That that was when I was with my first band, and the chances are, like, I don't know if that promotions company is even still knocking about, but they probably are, and it's probably who you're thinking about. Yeah, uh, they're being. I think they've had a name change, but it probably is the same people you're thinking. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of it about, and like, I don't know. It's a necessary evil, I think, if you're trying to put bums on seats. And obviously, it's a it's a very competitive market now, so I can understand. But this has existed for 30 years. People have always. It used to be literally that you would pay, you would pay yeah. to play a gig, and you can still do that if you want to get on to. So say. Um, Say a big act is playing at a festival somewhere or they're playing a tour, you could pay five grand and you can go and support them. That, that actually... Definitely, a, yeah, it's a route one way of doing it without having to go through this promoter. Yeah. Basically, it's something I've talked about before in terms of it can work if you can guarantee the ticket numbers and obviously everyone's a winner at the end of the day if you can do that. But bands, when they're starting out, which a lot of this podcast I'm hoping will be about, is bands, when they're starting out, presume that the city centre is the place to go and gig. It's got maybe yeah. the coolest venues... You just automatically presume that's where the labels and the scouts are going to be, if that's ever a thing. That's a, that's a story for another day. But um, I've always said, I've always said you should play the suburbs. Go to, I mean, around this area, Stockport, Bolton, Blackburn, Preston. Build your following through them, and then when you do play the, the city centre, it's likely you'll have enough people to sell tickets to. Yeah. The, the the problem that you have is if you go and play in Stockport or um, any sort of localised area. The people that are going to come and watch you, they're going to be far more supportive. They're going to be far more friendly. They're going yeah, to be definitely more interested in what's going on. Yeah, I think they're just more grateful as well for the fact yeah. that you wanted some uh, music to where where they live. Whereas in yeah. town, they expect it. They expect it. So there's kind of no. Oh, it's it's on every corner, so it doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Again, it's just saturated with with live music, so it's hard to kind of stand out from the crowd yeah. from a promoter's view as well. So much more yeah. competition there. So. Well, yeah. That, um, that, thing that that still runs all over the place and it's you know I, I can only see it getting worse now you know after this has all happened so i don't know you've just got to i hope it dies out but i mean yeah i think yeah this whole situation could make it even worse um and the fact that these promoters have to change the names every every few years tells you how well it's yeah. done basically and, and the kind of reputation they build up so exactly i mean my mate uh, i've got a friend uh baxter rhodes a um He's been a career musician for years and years and years. Another he's, man who's played a fair few league games. Another, yeah, another, another big league player. Um, he he kind of told me back in the day, he said, look, if you want to make any money out of doing what you do, any at all, he said, don't bother playing in town. He said, because you ain't going to make a penny. He said, if you want to make money, you've got to go to the areas that are right out in the sticks where there's loads of pubs, but there's very little musicians. Yeah, and yeah. Said, and then they'll pay you money. So if you're a band and you want to make a few quid or you want to build a decent following where they'll actually come to your gigs and they'll actually share your stuff online, get yeah. to the little villages, the towns, stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. Even things like just getting your petrol money covered or expenses covered, you're going to find that a lot more in the suburbs than you'll ever find it in the city centre. I mean, the, the fact is that there are promotions companies right now that I know of that are paying the venues to run a night in town. Yeah. You know, so yeah. if you're competing with that, the next the venue next door isn't going to pay you if they know that the venue the, the venue next door are getting paid to have music in the place. You know, it's it's a weird weird dynamic, man. But I mean, there's always been yeah, there's always been a hiring fee, which I think in the suburbs gigs 
like you say, the pubs and the smaller venue, the more likely to actually want to pay for it because they know they're going to be able to guarantee a crowd or whatever, and we'll probably have their own regulars there anyway, yeah. as long as you're a decent artist. Yeah, I mean, I think places in sort of places like Rosendale and Baycorp and places like that sort of yeah, like really out in the sticks. Yeah. yeah, they're willing to pay musicians to travel from Manchester and Liverpool and Sheffield or wherever because. Yeah. All as they've got around there is a few folk musicians. They've got nobody who can, you know, really come in and take over a night. So they're happy. They're happy to pay the money. So, but yeah, it's funny how these small areas do seem to gravitate towards folk nights. I don't know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard some some brilliant stories. Baxter was telling me about a particular because he he does like a musical workshop um, where he lives, and it just sounds cool, man. You know, loads of people just sitting around playing guitar and. That's it. Having a sing song, it's great. I wish Baxter's, I was. Baxter's really into his like ancient folk stuff, isn't he? Like he, he, okay. he's, I know he gets um, kind of influenced by stuff that's like a couple of hundred years old, and he'll can't, he'll he'll yeah. rework it into his own into his own material. Cover that he did. There was a big cover that he did of um, a song that was like a three hundred year old song or something. Yeah. He's managed to make it into sort of a current sounding tune. Uh, if you're watching and you've not yet checked him out, Baxter Rhodes Music. Guys, well, that takes me on nicely, actually. I was going to ask you your top three unsigned acts or bands you've seen live, and I know Baxter would be up there, but who would you say were the top three that you've personally seen out gigging? Or... So, do these have to be people that are still together? or No, in the history of the, ever since you've been watching unsigned music? Um, Mercury Field. Um, Shout out to Mercury Field. <laughs> yeah, um, Leaf gigs, uh, with you know your your gigs that you run at the Blossoms and places like that. You've got to have seen Mercury Field back in the day. Yeah. Uh, they weren't around for long. They were only around for like a year or something. Um, I met them because they were one of the bands on that compilation CD that I mentioned earlier. Quality bunch of lads, really interesting, high energy stuff, brilliant tunes. Uh, they just didn't last very long. Um, Stop all lads as well, so uh, keep it lads as well. Yeah, <laughs> I, brilliant bunch of lads. I mean, I still speak to them. Um, they're not doing anything at the moment, but yeah, they were a brilliant band live. Do you know, um, interesting piece of local info for you. Uh, Brody, the drummer from Mercury Field, is now in um, Maisie Johnson's band, Quinkle. Is he? Yeah. Wow. And they are they are a hell of a band. They were a hell of a band with the road drummer and Brody's an exceptional drummer. Queen Cole, Queen. yeah, check them out. Yeah. Not got much uh, material online, but they're gonna they're gonna have a big year when we open up. Oh, I bet they are. I bet they are. I mean, in fact, I think they're playing my first castle night when I go back into Manchester in July. So I'll be, I'll be there. Um, Queen Cole, I mean, I've only met Maisie. Uh, I've yeah. met when she was doing solo stuff. She's absolutely brilliant, Maisie. Isn't she? Brilliant, like brilliant songwriter. Uh, dead cool, just sweet to get on with. You know what I mean? Yeah, a really exactly. Um, I got on with it really well. I've never seen the band. Obviously, I know Brody really well. Uh, so I'll be interested to see that. So, yeah, hit yeah. me up. That's a gig. I'll come see that. But, yeah, so there was Mercury Field, uh, Demons of Ruby May. Yeah, this is a band that you kind of... I know you've you've covered a couple of songs um, at, at, at some of our gigs before, and it's always been a band that you and Stacey have liked for quite a while. Yeah. These guys, I was... We were doing Headlander Festival, and I had to go to Tom's. He was the bass player for Mercury Field. And I had to go to his house because I think he owed me some money. Typical story. Um, and while I was gone I came back and Stacey was like look you've just missed this act she was like they were amazing it was only two guys she was like they were just amazing so when we got home we had to listen through some of the stuff and if you've not caught the Demons of Ruby you should have done because they're everywhere please go and have a look at Demons of Ruby because they are brilliant absolutely brilliant what kind of style are they for people who haven't heard them before it's sort of it's pop music Really, it's like pop music, but the guy's got such an amazing voice. You know, it's yeah. such a soulful voice, um, so big. And the fact that there's only two of them and they can create such amazing... I supported them at the castle, funnily enough. Yeah. Uh, and it was just amazing because they use samplers, they use synths. Um, you know, they'll have like a, a live floor, Tom, and... They'll just use it with all the tech to kind of make big sounds and stuff. It's brilliant. How did, how did you get to support them? Did you just message them and say, I really love your stuff, can I come and play with you sometime? They messaged us. <laughs> we were, at the time, I was really active and kind of doing loads of gigs and stuff. Um, and I think they'd seen me at Blackthorn 
as well. Yeah. Uh, that helps. And we were obviously doing all the festivals as well. It's kind yeah. of a big sort of thing on your CV. And then we just got a message off them, and it was me and I don't know if you know Livo, David Liversidge. So, yeah, we just supported them at the castle. It was epic because obviously they filled it. It's only like 50, 60 people, that room. Um, they're just epic. So, yeah. Officially, I, well, officially it's 80. I'm, like I said, we're doing, we're doing gigs in there from July. 80 is going to be a squeeze. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a very small room. But, yeah, the third act, there's loads of, like, there's so many people that I've seen that I think have been absolutely amazing. Um, but Baxter just because I've seen him busk and there's nobody that I've ever watched busk that's been able to kind of interact with the crowd like Baxter does. He's yeah. brilliant. And obviously his style of music, it's really friendly. It's, you know, it's really sort of nice sounding and it hooks people in. And I've had some amazing experiences with Baxter busking in like Oldham and places like that. And, he actually um, plays a fair few, like I said before, he's into his folk stuff, but he actually plays quite a few different genres, doesn't he? I know he's got a song about Northern Soul, he's got yeah. lots of different kind of, uh, yeah, loads of genres. He's covered a couple of, I think he's done a mashup of a few 90s dance songs as well. Yeah. That sounds uh, like something he'd do, yeah. Yeah, but he's, he's just amazing. I learned a hell of a lot from Baxter uh, when I was working with him, just the style of how he does things and how to sort of put things together. So I owe him a hell of a lot. So yeah, Baxter is the third one. So good yeah. Old good old yeah, well um we'll include all the links below to anyone who's been mentioned um, when when this podcast eventually goes out. Walking on to the line seems beautiful. Stop all the way to see the endless fall And I spend my days looking out to see All the same old sounds remind me of you And I turn my back on the stand And no mission was flying with the endless flow And I came and I lose Yeah, so at this point, I'm yeah. done. I'm going to do three completely random questions. Yeah. So, question number one. Who is the most famous person you've ever met? Matt, personally. Matt, like, personally, yeah. Actually, actually spoken to, should we say? Actually spoken to. Uh, I've not met many famous people. Um, not, you're not really around the celebrity scene, no? No, no. I don't <laughs> out. I hung out at, like, you know... Uh, bars where it costs a thousand pounds for a cocktail. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Um, we went to a Papa Roach gig years ago. Don't know if anyone remembers Papa Roach, new metal band. Yeah. So we were at this gig and a crowd surfed right over the crowd from the back to the front over the security barrier. And then I got, you know, uh, off the base where that was, <laughs> that was like that thing ever. But yeah, no, I've not really spoke to many famous people. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't really frequent the uh, footballers' bars around all the edge, do we? No, no, I mean, I think I've maybe bumped into a few. I met Mark Hughes, the, the former United player, um, years ago. He's probably the most famous person I've ever actually had a conversation with. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I've not met many. I'm not, not, I'm a bit, uh, yeah. I'm a bit. Right, here's, here's the next question then. What's the strangest thing you've ever eaten? The strangest thing I've ever eaten. Strangest thing you've ever eaten. I do eat some weird stuff. Um, <laughs> so I've eaten quite a lot of different kind of sea creatures because uh, my dad, we always used to go on holiday to Wales uh, and all you can buy in Wales is gifts or seafood. That's it. Um, so we'd always end up eating lots of weird stuff. So I've had like shark and octopus and what else have I had? Just loads of weird kind of seafoody stuff. Um, yeah, that's probably the weird yeah. thing. Eating seafoody stuff, weird seafoody stuff, and weird things that I've found, you know, on a table, and I might stick my finger on it and give it a lick. You know? <laughs> but that's a story for another podcast. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. I keep getting the key. Why have you put your finger in it? I'm like, well, it's there. I need to know what it is. I'm, I'm only going to smell it, but then it's like, 
oh, it's food, that. Oh, that's Are you the kind is. of person who mind sweeps towards the end of a gig and just finishes off everyone else's drink, yeah? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> don't get rumours spreading around. No, we get, lo- we get loads of that going on in Stockport, mate. I see it all the time. You always get one straggler who finishes it off at the end of the night. It's, a, it's an epidemic that goes everywhere. It's a real, it's a real issue at the minute. <laughs> um, and random question number three is a good one, this, right? Would you rather have the power of invisibility or the power to never have to sleep again? You literally never have to sleep another day in your life. Wait, what? Um... <laughs> Invisibility. What can you do if you're invisible? Just basically bad stuff. Just be invisible. Exactly. It's always bad. stuff that you want to get away with, so it depends the how stuff you stuff mind wants to go. The only stuff that being invisible is going to benefit you at is stuff that is illegal and yeah. that would get in trouble for doing if you were visible. Yeah. Or you're uh, already in trouble and then you want to become invisible, which is always handy. That is always handy. <laughs> And obviously, you know, everybody's got people who they want to avoid, haven't they? So when you see one of them, dink, ha-ha, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't know, though, not not having to sleep. See, I like sleeping, I do, but... Um, I, I thought you were going to go for that one because I know you're a man who doesn't have a lot of time during the day. Yeah. Therefore, an extra, like, eight I hours a night. I'm not, like, a criminal or pervert, <laughs> I think. That... <laughs> 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 I think that... Um, the second one, yeah, because then I'd have more time to do all the things that I don't get time to do at the moment. Yeah, think of, all those, think of all those Facebook posts you could be knocking out at five in the morning. But I could learn more about Twitch. I could um, yeah. I could learn some spy skills for our mate Tamer. She's been wavering me about that. <laughs> We've been learning loads about um, kind of live recording as well in lockdown, obviously, haven't you, to help, you new, to help, your, um, help your live feed, so that could be something you could get on with. I could do loads, but being invisible would be good uh, to kind of um, eavesdrop at gigs. So well, having that, actually, yeah, that's a great way of thinking about you it. Know, as you could go into, say, a, a rival promoter's gig, <laughs> invisible, kind of check it out, have a bit of a nosy, and no one would be any the wiser as long as you don't bang into anyone. See, uh, our crowd is pretty forthcoming. If they don't like something, they'll come up and tell me straight away. So yeah. I don't need to do that. <laughs> But, so, uh, I think we've already covered this, but um, what's the number one piece of advice to a new artist starting out? I know you mentioned something at the start of it, but if you had to pick one thing. Uh, one thing, um, don't believe um, twaddle. Don't believe um, all the posts that you get. Every musician, it doesn't matter what level you're at, whether you're at the bottom or you're at the top, if you use social media, you will get people advertising their services to you. Um, it's not what you think. It's not going to get you famous. It's not going to get you a million followers. It's not going to get you um, a letter from the Queen or anything like that. Yeah. All that it's going to get you is an empty wallet. That's, yeah, exactly. you know, uh, so that's the biggest advice. I, I think paying for anything in the early days is always a risk. I mean, you want to fully research anything, especially in terms of yeah. social media, before you do. And obviously, that follows on neatly to, like, try and do as much as you can yourself, you know? Yeah. Um, Be as independent as you can, really. Yeah, basically, um, there's a um, there's a few people out there now, sort of big artists that have managed to make themselves big and successful without using a record label. So it can be done. It can really be done. And don't listen to all these guys that say that if you give them fifty quid, they can make you famous. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It really doesn't work. Like and I think the old motto is: if it looks too good to be true, it probably it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we'll finish off then. Um, any upcoming projects you want to talk about that's coming up on your socials or any releases? Yeah, well... Obviously, um, you talked about the new album potentially coming out. Have you got a date for that? Or That's... I mean, it's work in progress. So we're hoping to have the album finished by the end of the year. We'll start recording. Hopefully, in the new year, we'll, we'll have something to put out. In the meantime, uh, we've got a load of singles planned for this year. So the first one... Uh, one answer the gods is obviously my most popular tune, and everybody keeps yeah. for it. It's the song that you, yeah, you constantly get asked for. I know that much. It's probably yeah. my favourite tune of yours, but I like quite a few. We're going to release a song first, uh, which is a new song that I've written that's going to be on the album, but we're going to release it as a single first, um, and it's called Bone Without Conscience. Uh, that hopefully is going to be out in like the next six weeks. That's what we're hoping. Um, in the meantime, we're going to be putting a lot of new content on YouTube. Um, so every week we're going to be putting a new video on our YouTube channel. Um, so 
get over to YouTube, uh, Matt Fryers, hit subscribe, and then you'll get notified when the new content comes up. That's a great link, actually. I was going to say, any any other links to your socials? Are you on all forms of social media? I mean, if you just Google Matt Fryers, uh, all you know, you'll get everything. But it's usually it's Matt Fryers or on Instagram, it's Matt Fryers Music, um, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, YouTube, Twitch. Uh, SoundCloud, Twitter, Instagram, everything, we've got something there. So no matter what platform you frequent often, get on there and there'll be some Matt Fryer's music there for you to listen to. Definitely. Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. It's been great chatting to you, as always. Brother, it's nice to Hopefully we'll do it again in the future. So that was the incredible Matt Fryers. I knew he'd be pretty um, opinionated on that interview, which is great. Um, so just to let you know, we will be back next week with a brand new podcast, brand new interview. Um, you can catch us in the meantime on all the usual social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Leaf Promotions. Um, do you have any questions that you want to ask artists? Do you have anything that you in particular want to know about the unsigned music scene? Maybe you want to know how to get a gig. Maybe you want to know how to approach approach a promoter. How should you be behaving at gigs? How can you get labels interested? How can you boost your social media? We can hopefully help you with all that stuff. So we'll be doing some episodes that are just questions and answers episodes with your um, your own questions. And we will be doing more interviews like this as well. Really hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch you again next week. Bye.